I'm chatting with uh, Sibinisa Kamalo. Uh, he is the Chief Investment Officer, Old Mutual Investment Group. Sibinisa, appreciate the time today. US News recently wrote an article asking if a stock market was going to crash in 2023 or 2024. Is this a fear that's found its way into the market? Certainly there's been the fear around a, a potential US recession. Are we now worried about a market crash as well? Yes, generally, Simon, when um, there is a recession, it's usually then priced in the market in the form of a crash. But let's go back to this article and this idea of why would there be a recession in 2023 and 2024. Basically, um, after 2008, the global financial crisis, what happened was interest rates um, obviously collapsed to almost zero in Mm. the developed world, in America, in this particular instance that we're talking about, um, and stayed flat for a long time. And the government threw in a lot of stimulus um, in the form of what they called quantitative easing into the market. And so the market was supported. And at that time, we saw some really great market returns. COVID kind of interrupted that a little bit, but the government came back with the same playbook where they threw even more money. And this time they gave individuals actual checks in COVID while people were staying at home. And uh, interest rates then again went back down to zero. And so that period of easy money was very supportive for companies' revenues, for companies' profits. And also because there was no inflation, costs weren't increasing materially. And so therefore, if your revenues are growing materially because they're supported by strong markets and your costs are not growing, so your earnings and your profitability, that's going to be great. And that's what happened. That's called what easy money did is drive markets higher. Obviously, now we're in a different world, Simon, that interest rates have increased very quickly. And so when interest rates increase, actually, that's going to put pressure on markets. It puts pressure on consumers because your cost of debt is higher. It puts pressure on companies. Your cost of debt is higher. And obviously, there's a wage cost, too, because wages have got to match the increase in inflation, which means the profitability of companies starts coming under pressure. We're starting to see that now. And if that then plays out um, into the fall, then that is likely to lead to a compression in profits or earnings or profitability of companies going negative, which then combined with a recession would lead to some form of a market crash. The take on the recession, I mean, we've been hearing lots of talk around a recession. The debate was hard or soft. There was a fair bit of consensus that it would happen in 2023. It hasn't arrived, but that's kind of been kicked out yeah. to 2024. What's your take on, on, on the likelihood of it and, and other perhaps emerging risks as we look into the next year? Yeah, so I mean, I, I suppose let's explore the question of why it perhaps this yeah. long anticipated and spoken about recession hasn't happened. Well, again, if we go back to 2021, where people were given lots of cash um, physically in the US, and yet they were staying at home. And so what happened is what, what built up, and you can see this actually globally, if you look at um, even a country like South Africa, that people, because we weren't out there going out, partying and enjoying life, we weren't spending. Mm. And so people built what was called excess savings. So people's savings in balance sheets actually went up and people then had a surplus of cash. And those savings in America have taken a long time to actually come out and be consumed by the higher costs uh, driven by the higher interest rates and higher inflation. Um, And so that then has distorted or delayed um, what a, a potential recession. So 
as obviously we're sailing to 2024, those excess savings have now been consumed by the higher cost, obviously mm. driven by the high inflation. And so that then is what makes 2024 a little bit more dangerous and the higher probability that this recession that has been feared uh, might land in 2024. If we start to look broader, obviously uh, the global environment is important. That's where investment opportunities lies for investors. But for local investor, uh, local environment is equally as important. What's happening in the local market that has been influenced by global environments looking into the new year? Well, Simon, so, I mean, I'm going to talk about China on this particular yeah. one. China is the second largest economy in the world. But in terms of South Africa, China actually has a disproportionate influence. Why? China is a dominant and has been for probably the last two decades, a dominant consumer of commodities. We yeah. are a commodity producing nation. And so all these commodities, well, if we can get them out on the rail, they most of them end up going to China. And so China is important in that. And obviously, so if we look at our stock exchange, that resources will occupy about 30% of our stock exchange, then, which are largely driven by Chinese consumption, then you've got NASPERS process, which will occupy around 12% of our stock exchange. And then we've got Richmond, the luxury goods company, which also then is largely driven by Chinese consumers. So you could actually viably see how half of our market in South Africa is driven by what happens in China. Now, what is really coming through in China is that Chinese population is peaked um, and Chinese property, uh, which in China has been used as a store of value, that is coming under pressure. So China over-invested and over-built over the last two decades using commodities to obviously build, especially steel in terms of that. And so as China then starts slowing down, especially in the old commodity consuming, the old economy of China, As that comes down, what happens then to commodities? What happens to commodity prices? Now, as a country, which obviously um, is a commodities manufacturer, that is not good for South Africa. So we're going to have the Chinese slowdown has a direct impact on the South African economy. But also, South African economy in 2024 is heading towards an election. For the first time, there is a risk that the dominant party, the ANC, might not get an outright majority, of which then it has... Um, a very short period of time to try and figure out coalition government. Now, the other coalitions we have had in the provincial um, spaces in South Africa, we've seen that those haven't actually been functional. And so we've got the uncertainty, again, of a political year in South Africa. And then the other side of it is that our state-owned entities are under immense pressure because they've been completely dysfunctional. And so, Simon, we are a country that is structurally looking really weak in a global world that is also looking weak. So we are expecting South Africa to continue to come under immense pressure. Yes, cyclically, we could see a bounce because it looks like load shedding um, is getting slightly better of a really bad base. So cyclically, we could see um, South Africa come up. You could probably make some money in South Africa from the domestically focused small cap companies. But generally, as a country, um, we aren't very optimistic about South Africa. Um, And actually, we are very nervous about South Africa. So stock picking in South Africa starts counting quite a lot. You've got to buy the right companies um, in South Africa. Taking that into account, and I, and I take your point, I want to dig into the right companies in a moment, but I mean, should investors then start looking for some, some downside protection or do you still just focus on, on maximizing return? You're always trying to maximize return, Simon, but you're maximizing return, it depends on where you are in the market cycle. So in this particular instance, in South Africa, 
we are, have been buying, especially in our multi-asset funds, mm -hmm. we've been buying government bonds. Government bonds in South Africa are yielding a very attractive return on a risk-reward basis. So we'd rather have government bonds, and we've been decreasing our equities exposure in South Africa. Now, then the equities we've been buying in South Africa have also been then slightly different. So we've been staying away from the more cyclical um, equities in South Africa, and we've been buying the more defensively orientated equities. Because I told you a negative story about the US, the biggest economy in the mm -hmm. world. I told you a negative story about China, second biggest economy in the world. And I'm telling you a negative story about South Africa. So caution is warranted. And so therefore, if you look at our top two tilts in terms of the active weights that we have in the market, it's British American Tobacco and Anheuser-Busch. British American Tobacco, um, one of the largest tobacco companies in the world, very defensive, very diversified in many regions in the world, and it will grow, but it's looking very attractive, very attractive dividend yield. Anheuser-Busch, the biggest brewery, beer company in the world, which bought out South African breweries back in the day. And again, whether or not the market is good or bad, people are going to consume those products, which is yeah. tobacco and beer in this particular instance. And so, yes, we are looking at the world. We're saying, one, we're getting great returns on government bonds, both in South Africa and internationally. So we've bought quite a lot of government bonds, but we're also then seeing great returns or better risk-adjusted returns in the more defensively orientated names rather than the cyclical orientated names. And so, therefore, we've been buying shares that are then a little bit more defensive in their nature. And, and this is almost a, a return in a sense, not a return, but a, a coming back of, of classic defensive and diversification. Yes. We've always diversified. You, you never go all in on one stock. But yes. the rise of bonds has been one of the stories of 2023. And you're obviously expecting to, to continue in, into the new yeah. year. Yes. No, we, we definitely are because we, are, we believe in a world of at this moment where we are in the cycle, that the return off capital is preferred to the return on capital. So in a normal market, I mean, from the bottom of the 2020 COVID recovery up until um, last year, end of the year last year, our funds were very aggressively positioned because we believe that the return on capital would, would be rewarded. At this moment, we are seeing a lot more risk and a lot more um, challenges in global markets. And so the return of capital, preserving clients' capital is much more important at this particular moment. And hence then we can talk about um, seeing a greater risk-adjusted yield um, in the market. And, and Simon, I keep adding this word risk-adjusted because there's always risk. And, and so therefore, yeah. our job is to find opportunities that are attractive relative to that risk. And in this particular market, we are finding um, bonds on both domestic and a global basis highly attractive. Yeah, I take the point. There's no investing without that risk. It's how we manage that risk that's so important. Uh, last question, as, yeah. as an investment house, very much sort of basing on, on themes. If we're looking into 2024, are, are those themes, having chatted to you for the last 10 minutes or so, there seem to be caution. There seem to be bonds, which is a, a, a good uh, risk-adjusted return. Would those be your key themes? Are there some others uh, that I've missed? Yeah, so we, we look at the world in two dimensions, Simon. We call it theme and price. Um, price is being the valuation of an asset. What's the price of an asset? Mm -hmm. And then theme is then whether it's, a, it's, it's macro industry company or ESG related themes that will drive a re-rating in the assets that we're investing in. So in our world, we do a lot of work on, on themes and there are four themes that we are currently seeing in the market. The first one is what we call a global cycle down. 
what do we mean by that? We're saying, actually, that's where that recession comes in, in that mm-hmm. interest rates risen quite materially, and they usually have a lagged impact. So it'll take from the peak 12 to 18 months, uh, depending on the cycle, for interest rates to actually bite. We are yet to see that bite, and that's the, where the risk of a recession. And interest rates rising are not good for risk assets, which is equities. And so therefore, hence, we are cash, bonds, and, and obviously defensive names. The second theme we see is higher long-term inflation. We think that inflation, if you lived in the developed world in Europe and in America, for four decades, yeah. you've seen inflation generally trending downwards. We think that that is over, that the world has changed. Um, COVID also assisted in that change in the sense that we've seen that the decline in inflation, the structural decline, because China emerged as the manufacturer of the world. Everything was made in China. But actually, COVID taught us that those supply chains are not sustainable. And so therefore, we're starting to see different countries diversifying where they are manufacturing mm-hmm. goods. And that is going to lead to high inflation because they are not manufacturing at the lowest cost. So we're seeing sustained higher inflation, which means we're seeing sustained higher interest rates, which is, again, not good for equity markets. And there's gonna be a higher cost of capital, which is also not good for equity markets. The other one, the third theme is what we call a multipolar world, that we are entering a world of a lot of uncertainty. We've got the US, which we are saying, hey, is recessionary. Then we've got China, which the old economy of China in terms of the infrastructure related is gonna come under immense pressure. But actually, we are still quite constructive on China and the consumer. So actually, we've owned Richmond. We own Nasdaq's process because we think the Chinese consumer actually should um, be resilient. But actually, we are underweight commodities uh, because we're fearful that the more industrial related um, drivers in China, those are going to change. And then the final one is that we see South Africa as a long-term loser in that South Africa has got some really structural challenges and we can see these playing out, especially we were trapped in a low growth scenario. Our SOEs are failing and there's a lot of political uncertainty in the country and it's going to take quite a while for us to change. And, And part of that change, Simon, is that in South Africa, we are starting to see some form of reform and it's driven by this notion we would call privatization via stealth, that ESCOM fails as a state-owned entity, and what we are then starting to see is that the privatization of electricity generation, people put um, solar panels um, and companies and mining companies invest in their own generation. That is privatization, but it is via stealth. But again, it's going to improve, but it takes time. We're seeing the same thing then with Transnet, that the, the private sector is starting to get involved in solving government problems. These are good things because private companies can deliver. They want to deliver. They incentivize to deliver. But it takes time to orientate around that. And But that, so in South Africa, we think South Africa is going to go through some tough years, but it'll come out on the other side if the, the private sector is allowed to, to obviously assist in its recovery. It'll come out actually on, 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 the, on the better side. South Africans know how to survive. Yeah, that is one thing as South Africans we do immensely well. We can see that from the, the results that come out of the JSC. Tough times, but the, yeah. the CEOs and their teams are managing it. We'll leave it there. Sibini uh, Sinkamala, he is the Chief Investment Officer, Old Mutual Investment Group. Really appreciate the insights.